Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext, and subspace. Hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing tie-in novels of our formative years. So when did you first discover tie-in fiction? Well, I'm not exactly sure how old I was, but I'm going to say middle school. So, okay, like 12. Let's call it 12. And I, I discovered that the science fiction section of my local library was not full of old books about robots from the 60s, but was in fact full of tie-in Star Trek novels and Star Trek <gasps> The Next Generation novels. And so I took out all of them from the library one by one and it really, it, they was, it was surprisingly well-stocked in, in Star Trek novels. I felt like I was the only <laughs> one ever taking them out, but I read almost all of the tie-in novels that way. I only started purchasing them uh, when I would be like, this is my favorite one, and so I'm going to get it for myself. Yes. But mostly I was able to get the, the library. That's really cool. I was already well into reading tie-in novels when I was 12 and the dodgy old public library in my town uh, closed and reopened in this glorious modern glass building. It was amazing. It's still like a leader for public libraries in the, the country. And uh, they suddenly had so many Star Trek The Next Generation novels. And we were about to leave town. We were but I think we were going to move in just a couple of months. So I just read every single one of those Star Trek novels that I could get my hands on. Excellent. But I was already reading tie-ins by that stage. I had made the jump from children's fiction to the adult section of the bookstore via <laughs> next-gen tie-ins. I, I mean, I, I will say that I loved going to the library when I was a kid. I was a library kid. And I... Also, like I started out in, in the children's section as a child, shockingly, mm, mm. and I would read biographies almost, like that was my favorite thing to read were biographies. That's amazing. I know, <laughs> but I would read like every biography, um, and I still have like a lot of real affection for those like grade level uh biography books mm. uh, you know the, the the chapter the first chapter books when you're in like first and second grade um that level I just I love I wrote those read those vor voraciously but then I started creeping into the adult section and there was no young adult or teen section oh wow when I was when I was a young adult or teen that didn't exist in the library yet so I went right from the kids section, and which I read all of the biographies and like Nancy Drew, into the adult fiction section, and fiction was like too overwhelming for me, so I went to mystery and and science fiction, and I discovered that that the tie-in novel was a thing, <laughs> which was very exciting. Uh, so it was great. Do you remember what the first tie-in you read was? 
I, I don't. I don't know. I, there are, I like, I have a bunch of favorites, mm. you know, even just beyond the ones that I chose to speak about today. There are ones that I have a lot of affection for. I'm going to say that books that centered on Uhura. Yes. That was sort of like a little mini genre that I would, that I would look for. Um, anything where Uhura got to go on the away team mm-hmm. or it was like she was the main character that we were following through the story, I really loved. Like Uhura's song and the three-minute universe, I, I absolutely adored. Um, both of those were also like they introduced new alien creatures and an alien species that we'd never actually seen on screen. It, it was about the world building as well mm. as the focus on Uhura. And there was this terrible, terrible novel that was about Uhura fell in love with a musician who was dying. Oh, no. And they, like, get trapped on a planet. And it's really, I don't, I, it's like, I think it's called Tears for the Singers, something like that. It was so bad, but I still, like, read it multiple times because it followed this this uh formula of, <laughs> of being being about her and having her do cool stuff and also introducing a new species and a new new ideas but it was so bad it's like i don't remember anything other than it was it was a doomed romance and it was terrible <laughs> I don't know what my my first one was, but I know that I, it was definitely like the original series because again mm. I was getting them in the library, so they were like the they weren't the newest ones. Mm. <laughs> they were the ones that had been out for a little while. I also uh, anything Vulcans I loved. Right. And there were there are some pretty great, uh, Sarek and Amanda, like got to you know highlighted. That I that I was really really into, like you know, I I like I've I've said this many times that I like the characters that are in the background or guests or you know, and then the this like expanded on that. Like this is why I like fan fiction too. Mm. You know, it's like it's it's expanding on what we get and giving us more of that. It isn't as interesting to me if it's about Captain Kirk because. Every episode is about Captain Kirk. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't need more of that. He's but. not underserved by the narrative. Yeah. So I always look for the ones that were about the quote unquote little people. Cool. I cannot remember what my first tie-in novel was, but it may have been the novelization of Encounter at Farpoint. Oh my gosh! I remember reading that. <laughs> I had ordered something else from the bookstore and got this instead and my parents were really annoyed because they had to drive me to the bookstore to pick it up and and it wasn't even the book I wanted but I was too shy to say so so that was very uncomfortable but you know I had not seen Encounter at Farpoint I didn't even know the name (laughs) of Beverly's late husband so it was very useful (laughs) in that respect (laughs) and the book that I was actually ordering was The Children of Hamelin by Carmen Carter, which was one of the very early TNG novels. And the first yeah. one with Beverly on the cover. Which is why, right? 
yes and going forward if it had beverly on the cover i would do my very best to not just get it from the library but also to buy it yeah yeah i I read some books that did not have as much beverly content as i was led to expect (laughs) as you wanted yeah they encountered farpoint novelization i remember um strongly because like i feel like that was I, you know, encountered it uh-huh, mm-hmm. way after, like, maybe after the show was over even. Like, I feel like it was way, it was late. And then I was like, oh, I've never read this. Ha <laughs> interesting. And I read it and I was like, I don't think these scenes were in the, the, the show. Like, I don't remember this happening at all. And to this day, I don't know if they were scenes that were only in the novel, mm-hmm. which sometimes happens, or if I was, like, remembering, you know, like, the, after they would show it on, like, BBC America or something, and, and they would cut out, like, an extra 10 minutes yes. for more commercials, because there are more commercials now than there were when Next Generation was first on. Or was it stuff that was in the script, but cut for time? Right, exactly. I don't know. I don't know if it was stuff that was, that was in it when it was first on and I just don't remember or it was cut from the more my more recent viewings or if it was never actually filmed mm. and and it was only in the script slash novel like I, I don't know but but I, I remember it being bad and so I don't also like don't need to and and also like novelizations aren't as much fun generally as, no and I as tie-ins as I came to develop my taste in tie-in fiction, I very quickly lost interest in novelizations. Although I remember buying Descent just because I knew it was the Borg and I, I flipped through it in the bookstore because I always like to check if there's some Beverly content. And I saw that she got command of the ship. So I was like, well, now I have to read it. And it was terrible. And it's a terrible two-parter. But it still had Beverly in the captain's chair. So, True. yeah. It's possible that I could have been more rigorous in my selection process. Nah. <laughs> so we each created a list of uh, books we want to talk about. That's right. And I'm like, should we go in approximately chronological order by publication date? Uh, sure. So The Romulan Way by Diane Duane is it's a sequel to her first Romulan book, which was My Enemy, My Ally. But I yes. did not read My Enemy, My Ally first. <laughs> so so I, I, learned, I only learned that afterwards. Um, and now there are like three sequels to The Romulan Way that I have read, but I prefer to just read my anima, my ally, and Romulan way. They they were not okay. They were not as uh, they were not what I was looking for in a sequel. There were some scenes, some scenes that were good, but overall, not the same. Is that the Riansu series? Yes, it is the Riansu series. Which right? It's basically she came up with her own version of Romulan culture and how it broke away from Vulcan. And was established on Romulus and Remus. And uh, so the Romulan way 
is actually, it's a lot like um, her giant novel or hardcover novel, Spock's World, in right. that it, it alternates between a story that is happening in the quote-unquote present and mm. little vignettes about Romulus. And so it's like, it starts out with, you know, ancient times and it goes up through the founding of the Romulan Empire. Cool. So it's it's really interesting I've I I've always really liked Vulcans and I always really liked Romulans be, because I said that I am fascinated by Vulcans but I couldn't be one. I I would be I would be really bad at being a Vulcan, and so <laughs> you would be one of their many many renegades. Right. So they're Romulans. or a Romulan. Exactly. The Romulans are the Vulcans, but they're the the Vulcans that are that reject Vulcan culture. <laughs> And uh, and reject the that whole logic and no no showing your emotions thing that I'm just opposed mm. to. So I was I was sort of primed to be into this, but at the same time I don't know if I became so in love with Romulans af because of this book, or if I uh, liked Romulans and that's why I liked the book so much. I don't know. Mm. It's a it's a mystery. But the present story line is about, I mean, there's only like, Dr. McCoy is the only Star Trek character that you've heard of that is in this book. <laughs> oh, okay. Everyone else is an original character. Everyone. So the story is that there is a Federation spy mm -hmm. uh, who is embedded with the Romulans and that she's been there for almost a decade and has stopped sending messages to the Federation. And so they send Dr. McCoy on an undercover mission to... And why McCoy? That seems like an odd choice to me. I, there, there is no explanation. I mean, I guess it, it, was, it would, would have to be, in order for the plot to work, it would have to be Kirk, Spock, or McCoy. And maybe they just felt like Kirk and Spock were, were too inflammatory. And so <laughs> McCoy is like, uh, he's a well-known enterprise person, but he's not the kind of well-known enterprise person that is going to get the entire, like, he's, he is, he gets enough attention to be put on trial and to have, like, this whole crazy plot that happens in order to get her out happen. Mm. But... He's not big enough that they would just sort of, you know, fast track everything and 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 put in, you know, and just you know kill him. Like if Kirk showed up on Romulus, they'd probably right. just shoot him and then worry about it. Yeah. So McCoy is sent in. Basically, they create a situation where he is arrested and he's going to mm. be put on trial, and uh, and then you know sent off to be shot. Basically. Yep. He's put in prison awaiting trial with a high-ranking Romulan family, which is where this woman, Therese, uh, it has, has been acting as a housekeeper, basically, for, right. like, the, the, but, like, you know, the, the main, the main housekeeper, the head of housekeeping. <laughs> so, long story short, 
the end the end of it is she decides that she loves Romulans and Romulus and she wants to stay and she's just going to go back to sending spy messages that she has neither been turned so that she is now a, a full like a full Romulan she hasn't turned Romulan but at the same time she loves their culture and their people and wants to protect them from mm. um from invasion by the Federation by continuing this uh, like cultural anthropology type spying <laughs> cool i i love it because i love spy stories and again i don't know if i love spy stories because of this book or if i love this book because of spy stories because i was so young i would like when i say formative years like 87 i was 11 and even if this was a couple years later, you know, again, it's middle school. I was reading this book in middle yeah. school. Yeah. And it really crafted a lot of how I saw, you know, it was like one of the first quote-unquote adult books that I read. Yes. So yes. so it's it was kids who who read Harry Potter when they were Harry Potter's age. I, I, would, mm. I would say I was in that mindset. And that is such an amazing age to discover anything, really, but particularly fiction. I just, I wanted to learn Romulan, like in the back of the book, there's this little glossary. <laughs> it's like three pages long, but I took it very seriously. And I would like use the Romulan word for moon instead of moon. <laughs> and I, you know, all of my original characters were half human half Romulan and I just was I I loved this book and the idea of this other culture and it was so interesting that it was Star Trek but again the only character that you ever heard of was McCoy there was a a Horta character in in the book a, a Horta that's in Starfleet and and there's all of these Romulans, there's the Romulans that are on Romulus, um, and there's, you know, there's the, the bad Romulans that are trying to take over, and then there's the honorable Romulans, both the ones that are, like, the, the man that she works for, she realizes is, you know, like, one of the quote-unquote old guard who believes in honor mm. and good and isn't uh, just trying to be as Klingon as possible. And then this character, uh, A.L., who is from My Enemy, My Ally, but again, I didn't know that when I first read the book. <laughs> so she shows up and gives a speech and, and has this whole like amazing scene, and I was like, wow, it's like she's a hero for the, for the character. And I, I was, it, was, it was sort of like, you know, oh, I identify with this Romulan character the way I identify with Bolana, and I look up to this captain character at the end the way I would look up to a Captain Janeway. So right. uh, it was just, it was really amazing. It was great. It's a great book that I think everyone should read. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I went looking for the Riansu books because I'd really like to read them, but uh, well, they're on Amazon in Kindle form, but I'll get to that. I have some formatting issues with reissued inexpensive Kindle tie-ins. And then they, there was a paperback combined edition it's going for a couple of hundred bucks Oof. and I decided I don't need to read it that badly I'm just going to keep an eye on eBay yeah 
Next on the list is one of mine, but you also want to talk about it. <laughs> How Much for Just the Planet by John M. Ford. An amazing book. Legendary. When Ford passed away a few years ago, I remember seeing this book being discussed by people who, or, or the sort of science fiction news outlets that wouldn't normally cover tie-in novels of any kind, let alone the people who wrote them. But this just transcends canon. It is, it is unique. It is. In fact, I, I was looking at it and, and real, like reading this stuff about it and realising that I don't think I understood even a fraction of the jokes in it. Oh, absolutely. I, de- I definitely didn't. And I mean, even now, it's like, it, it's a, there are generational jokes. Mm. You know, he was writing it for his peers, of which I was like the, yes. the child of his peers. So I don't, <laughs> I, I didn't get it. It's full of uh, literary cameos, apparently. Neil Gaiman is in it. <laughs> Who knew? Everyone but me, apparently. And it's also, it has this very old-fashioned feel, like it's purposefully set in this weird faux 50s television land, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like Pleasantville. It's, yes. it's like set in Pleasantville. <laughs> so the plot, for anyone unlucky enough to have not read it, is that it's set during the original series and the Klingons and the Federation are competing for the mineral rights on a dilithium rich world and by treaty they cannot engage in open hostilities that they have to persuade the inhabitants that they're the better option and the inhabitants just want them both to go away so they launch into what they call plan C which is essentially turn the entire planet into a setting of a musical comedy. For example, Uhura and a Klingon are abducted and dropped in the middle of a hard-boiled detective story, and Sulu and McCoy and a group of Klingons um, find themselves in the custody of a woman who wants to become an evil overlord. It's there's a lot happening, and I haven't read it because this one not available on Kindle at all, and uh, the paperback is going for ninety odd dollars. I feel so. I feel really badly about this because I want everyone to read it because it's just I so. Know. It's so strange. Weird. It's so strange and funny, and even before you get to the planet and the shenanigans, there's like a Federation computer that's obsessed with milkshakes because someone spilled a milkshake on a console. Spock's ex-girlfriend spilled milkshake on the console. I had forgotten about that. And there are musical numbers which are apparently like filk of well-known songs for that generation. I didn't know that. I just made up my own tunes. Yeah, me too. So, whoops. <laughs> and the 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 main plot with Kirk and his ambassador, who's also like an ex-girlfriend, and the Klingon, like his Klingon counterparts... Is, yes, and there's like a, a cat burglar, and it's, it's like it's just there's so much going on, and there's this whole crazy farcical mistaken identity. Like it is both old school, ridiculous movie plot, or 
you know, slash, like, Shakespearean comedy type nonsense. It really is. There is literally a point where McCoy looks up and sees a, a mountain, a rocky mountain, surrounded by a perfect halo of stars. And it's the Paramount logo. And he says, can you imagine? What if, what if we're all just overseen by some great thoughtless entity that doesn't really care about us because apparently Ford did not have a fun time writing this and I suspect that's one of the reasons it's no longer in print but yeah it's just such a it's not a novel it's an experience yeah, exactly <laughs> so I, without reading it again I don't know how much more we can say about it but it really is something else it's yeah it, it's uh, you know my my brother who has never really seen Star Trek read this book because I would because I I was like I don't understand anything that's going on it's so crazy and so funny but it's really weird <laughs> um and mm. I would like say little passages and he would get the jokes because that's the type of thing that he was into so he read it and 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 also was like this is really strange <laughs> and like you know he's seen a couple episodes but he wasn't a Star Trek fan and it was just really funny I just remember that. Yeah. And we were, again, we were both like teens. <laughs> so it was really funny. I, I feel like I may have learned comic pacing in in prose from Terry Pratchett and How Much for Just the Planet. <laughs> nice. Then we both had Survivors by Jean Laura. And I really wanted to talk about this uh, back when we did our episodes about Tasha Yar and Ellen Landry. But I couldn't find any details of the plot at the time and then I found, finally found a recap a couple of months ago so survivors I just want to first say that Jean Laura is the author of uh, the Vulcan Academy murders and the Idic epidemic uh, which mm -hmm. are when I was when I was talking about uh, Sarah and Amanda shenanigans those two books mm -hmm. are Strong Sarah and Amanda shenanigans, um, and so I knew that I liked the author, and then yes. it, it was you know Tasha was like already dead by the time this book yes arrived, so it was very exciting that there was more Tasha, and that it was by an author that I already liked, and then it ended up being like a heist novel which was great oh yes <laughs> so i was super excited i was like this is this is exactly what i wanted from tasha yar was her <laughs> her her horrific backstory her cat a a doomed romance and a heist like <laughs> perfection space pirates i was go. actually reading that uh laura had uh, pitched this novel to Pocket Books whilst early in season one, and they're like, no, no, they don't want to do the, the history, the backstory of the characters in books, which is the opposite tack that the Discovery novels have taken. But then Tasha died, and they rang her up and went, so, do you still want to do a Tasha novel? And I, kept, I did not reread it for this, but what always struck me years and years later was how... You know, Tasha's a very careful, soft-spoken character and she speaks like everyone else. But Laura suggests that 
this is actually something she learned as an adult and that, you know, she grew up in terrible poverty and she basically learned to code switch. And, and, and that's, that's what's really struck me after all these years. And it's basically, uh, you know, present day events uh, reunite Tasha with the Starfleet officer who rescued her from the Hell Colony. And uh, do they hook up? Is, am I remembering correctly? Yep. You remembered correctly. Awesome. Unfortunately. Really? Was it bad? So, yes. Uh, Dare. Adrian Durow. Oh. Oh, yes. Now I remember. When I was a teenager reading the book, uh, mm-hmm. desperate for more Tasha content and you know, wanting adventure and romance, I didn't find that to be a problem. No, I didn't find it a problem either. I, from your reaction, I'm now wondering if that would change now. I, I mean, it's, I sort of, it's like, well, that's not really, you know, there's a whole scene where he's like, I can't, you know, we, we can't do this. I, it, it's inappropriate and I, I shouldn't have these feelings for you. And she's like, I'm all grown up now. Oh, dear. And there's there's a sort of, it's like, I don't know about that. But I have so much nostalgia for the relationship, at the, you know, at the same time. Yeah. And I do, like, I ship that kind of stuff all the time. I'm not, it's, like, he's her instructor. And, uh, and you know, that is sort of like, I don't, I... I don't have as big of a problem with uh, the age gap or the inst- student instructor or the, the rank difference as much as the fact that she was a, you know, 14-year-old rape victim when you found her. Like, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. That's a gap that's harder to overcome. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, you know, it's a little bit much. But... I really like, you know, he he's like Han Solo in in Star Trek. Cool. Basically. <laughs> or even more so like uh, Malcolm Reynolds in Firefly because he has his own his own little band of people who are fighting the power kind of. Oh boy. You know how Starfleet gets when when people start fighting the power. <laughs> yeah, they're very against it. It's sad because she, you know, she's, we already know she's dead when the novel begins, you mm. know, like, so there's this, this sort of tragedy aspect to it all. Uh, Dare and Data are sort of, there's this weird love triangle competition for Tasha thing going on that Data doesn't even know he's a part of. <laughs> Because he's data. See, I was going to go, oh no, but that actually makes it sound kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. It's a, uh, uh, you know, and, and she's like, there's, he had, like, Dare has women on his, on his uh, Firefly team and, and she's jealous of them. Like, there's so much, there's all these things that you could definitely pick apart and be like, that's a problem. That's not great. But it's just like it was exactly what I wanted to read yeah. when I was that that age, and it was a space adventure with Tasha and Data and, and a bunch of 
criminals. It was it was great. That sounds amazing. And they were you know they were fighting for they were fighting for justice. You know they were they were, they were saving the planet from being taken over by a dictator. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was great stuff. They were they were protecting the one honorable politician kind of thing. <laughs> who was this, you know, old man who was also vaguely royalty. <laughs> it was like everything about it was ridiculous and great. You sort of get the feeling these would be marquee years later. Yes. I can't remember any of those things about it. Just that I was so surprised at how much I loved it, given that Beverly was hardly in it. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's another one where it's like Tasha and Data and everyone else is an original character. Well, I think the great thing about tie-in fiction is that you can do that now and then. And it's probably even easier to get away with that in tie-ins than, say, fan fiction, where we sort of have this cultural fear of the original character. Exactly. And, and these are the, like, the original characters that are in these novels are the kind that I would make up. Yeah. They, like I said, like, was, I've been, you know, saying it's like this other show that I also like in, in Star Trek. It's, it, that's what I do in, in fic as mm. well, you know, or even just imagining or, or just, you know, coming up with ideas. It's like, what if How to Train Your Dragon, but in Star Trek? <laughs> So I uh, I have Toothless and uh, his girlfriend, stuffed animals, and I, I was looking at them. So that's why that was what came to mind. <laughs> but um, but the, but you know, and so this it's there's these vaguely Star Warsian characters, but they're they're hanging out in in our Trekkie universe and. Doing cool Which stuff. is so hard to pull off, too, because the cultures and the outlooks of both series are very different. So if you can do that and do it well, more power to you. Right. Next on the list is one that you have talked about before. The uh, Is it the Pandora Principle? Or Pandora's? It is the okay. Pandora Principle. So the list is incorrect by Carolyn Close. The Pandora Principle, which uh, is of every... Star Trek tie-in novel, or really, you know, any... The, this is... There was a um, panel at WizCon a few years ago that was about books that were important to you when you were 12. Mm. And this was the book I talked about. <laughs> because this... I'm, you know, 12 in quotes, because I don't know how old yeah. I was. Um, but I... And because this is the book that I asked my youth pastor if it was okay to find religion in a not in, not in the bible and which is still the most um, and precious it was a star trek, precious it's a star trek novel right exactly like you know that's that's everything you need to know about me is that i was willing to ask my youth pastor this and that he took it seriously and um like i just loved this book i gave it to people to read so that they would understand me i've purchased it and mailed it to people so that they would understand me and in between my freshman and sophomore years of college I did a summer program in Oxford England Mm. um, the British American Drama Academy and it was an amazing experience I took master classes with Jeremy Irons Alan Rickman, Derek Jacobi, Judy Dench. 
and I'm silent. Fiona Shaw was one because of the I'm main fangirling. People, I know. <laughs> like, um, you know, it was this amazing experience, and I got to do it. My audition piece to get into this program was a monologue from Savick <laughs> from this book. That's amazing. So, like, I met Alan Rickman because of this Star Trek novel. <laughs> Worth it. So, I, it's just, it's still, to this day, super important to me. I still think of, like, when I think of Savick, I don't think of the movies, I think of this book. There's even Sarek's bad parenting in this book. Oh my gosh. Like, everything you would love. I I made up a musical. You know how I said that I, I make up musicals by sticking other songs that already exist into stories? I did that for this book. Yes. I clearly have memorized passages. I highlighted passages in different color highlights based on what emotion they would, you know, in- evoke in me. It's amazing. There's this whole this whole baseball subplot that like I don't care about baseball, but I looked up. I wanted to understand the references, the analogies more, so I like tried to understand baseball <laughs> they it's just yeah I mean and I'm when I met Robin Curtis I told her about it um I said you know I I love Savick but I mostly love Savick from this book <laughs> you know no offense I you you you're you're great too but I just this book was so important to me and she was she found it fascinating she was like it's so interesting that you have this you know, strong connection to the character and it's not about what's on screen. It's not about the mm. movie. It, you know, it's not about the actress and especially for this particular character that was played by multiple yeah, actresses. Yeah, yeah. That, that it's, it's this, this novel, this, and this is like, I, as far as I can tell, this is the only novel this person ever wrote. Wow. So it's like, somehow she convinced them to let her, to, to publish what amounts to her Savic backstory fanfiction. <laughs> and I am grateful every day to whoever got, you know, made that yeah, decision. Yeah, yeah. Well, one day I will read it. <laughs> and then you'll understand <laughs> me. Aren't you excited? A little. A little nervous. It's, an- it's another thing about, um, like, it's all about this Vulcan culture and how at the end of the day, both Ser- um, Savick and Spock choose to reject it. <laughs> that they, they desperately want to be Vulcan, but they only want to be Vulcan on their terms. Mm. And if, if Vulcans aren't going to, like, bend to their will or whatever, yeah. then they'll, they're happy enough being what they actually are, which is half Vulcan and and unique yes the next book on the list is one of mine it's the devil's heart by carmen carter i owned it when it came out in paperback and it was wonderful it was my favorite tie-in novel and last weekend i got bitten by my cat and spent about four hours in the emergency room waiting to be you know seen and given antibiotics and whatever and i read the whole thing and it was just as good now as it was back in back when I first read it. 
Isn't it great when that happens? I am absolutely blown away. Like, it's... Carter's crush on Picard is not subtle. (laughs) But it just... Even when it does things which you see in tie-in fiction but not fan fiction, like a, a brief treatise on what... Riker thinks of the word engage it just has this grasp of character and it's so character driven it feels like the best of fic and basically this is a story where Picard comes into possession of the devil's heart a millennia old stone which is said to have amazing powers and which has basically left a trail of bodies and dead civilizations in its wake it passed from the Iconians to the Vulcans, from the Vulcans to the Romulans, Romulans to Andorians to the Klingons, and now an, an elderly Vulcan archaeologist has found it, and everyone on the in the galaxy wants to steal it, and Picard has possession of it. <laughs> or does it have possession of him? <laughs> yep, it takes him over and gives Pretty him much. bad dreams. Pretty much. And uh, at one point enables him to kill or destroy a Klingon ship with his mind. So basically, this borders on fantasy. There is no getting around that. (laughs) But it's the sort of big operatic space fantasy of Star Wars. And when you're dealing with races like the Iconians and the Guardian of Forever... Gets, gets a look in. So it really jumps into the fantasy elements of Star Trek with both feet. And it's just, it makes it work. And it's such a good read. And there's a lot of Beverly and a lot of Deanna being competent and funny and driving the plot. And it's just, it's a really good read. And my only complaint is that I bought the Kindle edition and it was very inexpensive. It was only AU 6.99. But the formatting is terrible. Like there are errors, typos, which clearly come from a bad scanned text that hasn't been proofed properly. And there's no dividers Mm. between scene breaks. So I'm very disappointed about that. And I'm thinking of seeing if I can dig up a copy of the paperback on eBay or something, because I would quite like to own it, I've discovered. I I have lost my copy and I want it back. I remember this book as being a hardcover. It, it was originally um, released in hardcover, Because yes. I, my library didn't have the hardcovers. <laughs> they, were, they were more expensive, yes. probably. But I, but I, you know, at that point, like, I had, like, an average school job, and so I could buy them myself. Nice. So I had the hardcover novels, but I would still read them in the bath like I did everything, mm. including my library. <laughs> Sorry, library. <laughs> So, but I just like I have a strong memory of having it as as this hardcover, mm. you know, big, big book, and I haven't read it in a, in a while. I don't. I no longer have. I when I went away to college, I got rid of all of my Star Trek novels because obviously I was an adult now and I wouldn't need those. Oops. And it was very sad because, of course when I remembered that I I don't have to be an adult. I, uh, I wanted all my Star Trek novels. I definitely wanted to read them all again. And it was really annoying that I didn't have them. And and my library also like 
sold off oh, their no. copies because I was the only one taking them out. So, so they weren't as, uh, you know, and there's a list of, of a books that I have purchased over the years. I've purchased it, you know, more than once because I keep doing this. Like every time I would move, I'd be like, well, I have to cut down my books and I'm no one, I'm not going to need the devil's heart. Oh no. <laughs> And so, it, digital is definitely the way to go, even in, in with poor formatting. Um, Strangers from the Sky, which had the the dubious honor of being the first giant novel. Oh yeah, I just remember that so strongly. That it was a giant novel. But that book is another one that could easily have been on this list. I was absolutely obsessed with Strangers from the Sky, and I have definitely purchased that book like four times. <laughs> <laughs> because I constantly the most recent time I got it in in Kindle because or iBooks or something but digital mm. because I can't I can no law I cannot delete you know I can't be like I'm taking up too much space I can't travel with it so I'm not gonna I'm gonna get rid of this book and then immediately buy it again six months later so <laughs> so we're not gonna do that now I have it forever <laughs> It's the only one, though. It's the, it's the only Star Trek novel that I have purchased digitally because I desperately needed it. I, I really like Kindle as a format for tie-ins because that way I don't have to find room for them. But there are a handful that I really love. And, and a few years ago, I moved from a very large house to a one-bedroom flat and I got rid of so many books. And now I have a whole study and there's a little bit of space on my bookshelf and I'm like... What if I just buy a few? Just just a few, you know. You, I could stop any time. <laughs> just a few. Just your favorites. Yeah. You can stop it. So yeah. Mm. But but I remember loving The Devil's Heart. I know that uh, all of it. I remember all of the hardcover Next Generation novels playing with my Picard Crusher heart. Oh, I know. Like they were all very pro Picard Crusher uh this one included yes there's a bit where Beverly is like sarcastically bitching about how how Picard is obsessed <laughs> with this rock and she's like well who am I to come come between a man and his rock it's it's so funny <laughs> she's so she's so worried about him and also like jealous of the rock yes <laughs> it's just so good and she admits it she doesn't want to but she has to admit right. it I, is, it, is it in conversation with Deanna? Maybe it is. It is. But I know that she, that yeah, she, that she's she's like I I feel so ridiculous, but <laughs> yes. So, and eventually, and she is the one who eventually like gets through to him. So. It's actually Deanna and Data. Like oh. Beverly is there, but it's mostly Deanna and Data. And of course, Data I mean, in the Deanna end makes sense. Yes, and Data is the the only one who is completely immune to the. The powers of right. the devil's heart. I, re- I, re- I, remember, I remember Data being integral to it because he was an android. Yes. It, it's kind of an important thing about him. <laughs> and I remember really liking the Vulcan archaeologist lady. Yes. In fact, I really liked all of the Vulcans and all of the Romulans, including like obnoxious child Surak, who's like, yeah, I spent a night communing with the devil's heart. I don't need it anymore. I've decided to go for a more logic-based thing. So, you know, <laughs> murder rocks, they're so last millennia. Uh, 
And then there's this whole sequence where a group of academics take over a Federation starship. And I didn't appreciate at the time, but I do now as an adult, how funny that is. And I'm quite sure that Carter has worked in a university at some point because it was just, Mm. it felt very real. If you spend any time around (laughs) academics, then it's going to feel somewhat familiar. And I enjoyed it so much that I went looking for Carter because I was like, I wonder if she's online and can I tell her how much I loved her book? And what I learned was that the whole process of writing this book was so challenging that she basically stopped writing fiction forever. And uh, as far as I can tell, she's a coder now, but doesn't, doesn't seem to be online anywhere, which is a damn shame. So Carmen Carter, if you're out there, really liked your work, sorry you haven't done more, totally feel like that was a great swan song ahead of your retirement it's like uh it's like she was the last of the people i don't want to say ruins because i'm sure she's not actually ruined but ruined by the heart the devil's heart oh wow oh that's symbolic (laughs) yes yes a friend of mine once describes the novel as like half-baked Riansu, and I just want to take issue with that. I think it is fully baked and has a stone <laughs> hidden in the middle of it. That's a, that's a joke you if you haven't read the book, because there's a... Anyway. <laughs> the Devil's Heart, it's great. You should track it down and read it if you enjoy space opera and next gen and... Uh, academic shenanigans and original characters and there's a member of Guinan's race who is working as a bartender on a dodgy space station and she reluctantly has adventures with the equally reluctant woman who's commanding that space station it's great and Picard's academy flashback (gasps) yes yes what a strange and intense scene and he wakes up not knowing whether he really won the race or if that was just the dream and if the stone helped him yeah i remember reading just that chapter mm. every once in a while because it's just it's it's really evocative writing where i really felt like i was in the dream you know like yeah, i was having yeah. this dream and, and is it real or isn't it because it was just it's really well written that one sequence and i just i don't know it 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 was very interesting to me, this little side story about Picard's past. Yes, yes. And the way that the stone starts to taint everything. Yeah, that's that's when he, he starts to realise how dangerous it is. And this is before he has the dream where Jack Crusher is alive and his first officer and he has to choose between, you know, that's always the last, Ugh. the stone's last temptation, bringing Jack to life and changing history but then he would lose Beverly the last on our list and another book with some pretty intense Picard Crusher content is Dark Mirror by Diane Duane <laughs> I'm telling you all this was also a, a, a hardcover yes and it, it was also super Picard Crusher because they go into the uh, mirror universe and she's the captain's woman there and p- real Picard has to do the thing all Starfleet officers do, which is pretend to be his evil mirror counterpart. And it's, you know, it's one of those... Um, did they the In the mirror universe, Picard had Jack Crusher killed. Yes. So that yes. he could possess Beverly. And that's like one of those... In the, in the canon universe, Picard feels that same guilt yes as if he had gotten 
it, as if he was personally responsible, even though he's only uh, tangentially. I don't know. Like he 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 didn't. He like gave the order, but it, it was, was not murder. It was all. It was yeah. It was not murder. It was not murder. He didn't arrange for him to die, but he still feels like mm. it. And, but in the Mirrorverse, he totally arranged for him <laughs> to die. And she knows, but she can't, you know, she's trapped in her life. Because it, like, if she doesn't go along with it, she's just as good as dead, so she might as well... Enjoy the perks. You know, she's, she's stuck there. And she, she, like, I just remember Beverly being so angry. You know, dark, evil Mirror Beverly. Yeah. Being this absolutely vindictive person who goes after like if he ever strays like that's also a murder <laughs> so yep yep like, at, at one point she she threatens that she's that she's like i'm the doctor and i know exactly how to make people suffer before they die yeah and i find that kind of badass i believe her exact line is it, if it is another woman she'd better not get sick which it's just <laughs> I did not reread this book, uh, but that line has always stayed with me. It's amazing. The only reason I didn't reread it for this episode was because I recall that it has a talking dolphin character who's sort of a cameo from one of Dwayne's other other series. Yeah. And that part <laughs> of the reason it was my favourite Star Trek novel when I was 13 was that I was also going through a sequest phase. And I don't want to shame my 13-year-old self, but I also don't want to um, come to find that she was maybe a bit silly when it came to dolphins talking or otherwise. So, you know, out of respect for my past, I'm just going to leave that be. But I have never forgiven Deep Space Nine for destroying the Terran Empire (laughs) and uh, rendering Dark Mirror (laughs) non-canonical or less canonical. Aww. and I was very interested, there, there was a TNG comic uh, last year or the year before, which was set in the dying days of the Terran Empire, and a lot of its aesthetic felt like it came from this novel, especially the treatment of Deanna. And so I hope that was intentional, because I think this was a really good novel and a great portrayal of the Mirror Universe, and certainly I like the idea that the decent mental health professionals of the Federation are terrifying interrogators in the Mirror Universe. And, yeah, Yeah. dominatrix uniforms are optional. (laughs) I know know Dwayne is on Tumblr. I should find out if she's into Discovery. Yeah, she's on Tumblr and Twitter and interacts with people. Which is terrifying. What if she listens Uh. to this? We started and ended with her, (laughs) and uh, and so I think uh, I think it's all good. I I mean she's uh, the the queen of world building for Star Trek. Yes, yes. uh, For my my personal version of Star Trek, like I I get it. And I, I really love her her aesthetic and her trying to widen things. And I didn't remember mm. that the talking dolphin was in Dark Mirror at all. No, I had forgotten um, too. But I remember the talking dolphin from from other <laughs> books. I love, her, like, you know, I, I said I love her Spock's World and how... Spock's World and in the Vulcan Academy Murders, 
both go into how Sarek and Amanda mm. met. And they're completely different. Um, you know, it's like they have a few little story beats that are the same, but are are even like down to like Amanda's profession is different. Wow. But I love both of those stories. And so I see all of these novels, you know, you know, Dark Mirror, it doesn't bother me that the Dark Mirror is quote unquote non-canonical because why is there only one mirror universe if there are 500 different timelines that exist along the the world then wouldn't two like there would be 250 over here and 250 mirrors right <laughs> so oh, yeah there like there's there's incremental differences i don't think there's only one mirror universe like i I don't know that that all of the ones that we visited are the same ones. So there, haha, on <laughs> on canon. It, it's more that I think Dwayne's take was better than Deep Space Nine's. <laughs> well, I have a lot of problems with Deep Space Nine, so yeah. But that said, I love the Dark Passions novels that take place in the Deep Space Nine version of the Mirror Universe. Is that the? Are they the ones that are basically bad fem slash? Yeah, yeah. It's all women all the time my favorite part is that the author Susan somebody I don't remember the name off the top of my head but she clearly really dislikes Tom Paris <laughs> because Tom Paris is like a sniveling crying he Bellana like appears on a screen and he bursts into tears and hides under a table and it is just it's amazing. It's like, wow, not only do you not ship Paris Taurus, but you hate him. Like, you made him into the weakest possible character. It's, it's hilarious to me. And I like Tom Paris, but I find him really funny. <laughs> I basically, with a handful of exceptions, I basically stopped reading tie-in fiction the day I discovered fan fiction on the internet. <laughs> so, by comparison, everything published ever since is terrible compared with... with um, By Dark Fashion's time, you were done. <laughs> I, I was. I was like, if I want to read this, it's out there on someone's GeoCities site. <laughs> that, is, that is true. That is true. Even though, like, a couple of people who went on to write Voyager novels were actually in, you know, my own Section 31 fan fiction mailing list I was still like nice mm, I will read it but I'm not going to buy it and it's not as good as your fan fiction <laughs> and at the same time I have on multiple yuletides I have offered and or requested like Star Trek tie-in novel fan fiction wow. like I'm like give me more of this character that is only in the Edic epidemic <laughs> give me more of the Rahansu characters mm. Well, I think I think that's very fair, and probably I was. I just think that fic and tie-in novels fill different needs, and, and tie-ins no longer, or, or fic filled my needs better. On the other hand, sometimes I'm really hungry for some long plotty fic, and, and something like The Devil's Heart is more likely to fill that need than anything on mm. Ao3. Sorry, Ao3, just you know, long plotty stuff is not presently <laughs> in fashion. I think that's fair. I mean, I also I haven't read. Like the whole the whole after now like after this the series ended mm. books I haven't read any of the discovery tie-ins and I haven't read any of the post 
series tie-in novels that there's like a, a war and Jane Weed died and came back to life and everybody is hooked up and Beverly and Picard have a, have a kid and it's all crazy. I, I like know what happened because I've read mm-hmm. the, like the summaries, but I haven't read any of that because it just seems I'm it's not I would like everything that I've read is sort of like I don't think that's actually what I want. To read. Yeah, okay? that's not that's not actually how I want to imagine those stories to go. So I'm just gonna let people who like that read it, and I'm gonna go over here and and not read it. Yeah, I found like I've read a few of those post series books, and what I found was it feels like a very small universe. Because there's still a handful of original characters. They're not as good as they were back in my day, of course. But it's just, you know, Tuvok is on Riker's ship. And it just feels like no one has really moved on. And everyone is still in this sort of artificial state of where they were in the series. And there's just so much of it. And it's all connected. And it gets kind of like the Marvel movies. And without even the payoff of being a massive cultural phenomenon that everyone's talking about. Mm. And the Discovery novels, with the exception of the Tilly novel, I just found really mediocre. And I'm absolutely... That's what I've heard. I'm absolutely going to get the Pike novel when it comes out in a couple of months, but mainly to run a word search for the name Cornwell and see what happens. (laughs) Which, by the way, turned up zero in the Lorca novel because that was written... Of course. I mean, that's what I like. I was sort of into the idea of that novel, but then people got it, and it's. I was like, what that? What I learned of it, I was like, no, that's not for me. His girlfriend is fridged without a single bit of on-screen, on-page dialogue. Nope, nope, nope. And it was clearly <laughs> written, may, after Jason Isaacs was was cast, but maybe drafted before they decided he was American. Because there's a bit where Lorca basically sounds posh and British. (laughs) So Uh. it's roughly edited and honestly wasn't very good. And even the Tilly novel, which I really enjoyed and and really hit that sweet spot of character driven but plotty, needed another edit. Like it has her living Mm. in Paris but transporting to New York for school. And I'm like, okay, but there's a six hour time difference. Like how do you... (laughs) Just because it's the future doesn't mean the rotation of the doesn't earth is going to time. change. <laughs> That's so funny. I know, I know. Like, <laughs> instantaneous travel gets rid of time zones. Just permanent jet lag. That's hilarious. I know. And <laughs> I spend a lot of time thinking about, like, if someone... Is it feasible to live in New York but work at Starfleet Command in San Francisco with the three-hour time difference? And I'm like, no, probably not. You're going to be very tired all the time. An hour is probably the most you can feasibly do. So I've overthought things, but I think... Uh, and and other people have not thought about it at all. Yes. Is what I'm getting. Can we strike a balance? <laughs> but uh, I feel like current tie-ins and our opinions of them it could be a whole separate project episode yes so should we wrap yes, up yes could all right good good discussion always 
Oh, I have the outro. Thank you for listening to AntimatterPod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at at antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures and questions for our audience. If you like us, leave an iTunes review. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks for a discussion of an original series episode selected by our Twitter followers. We don't know what it is yet. I'm a little concerned it might be Spock's brain, but we'll see.